My name is Justin Laymiller, author of the blog Sex and Psychology and the book Tell Me What You Want, and today I am interviewing Dr. Ari Tuckman, a certified sex therapist and psychologist who specializes in the diagnosis and treatment of ADHD. He hosts the popular podcast More Attention, Less Deficit, and he is a prolific writer on ADHD, having just published his fourth book on the subject titled ADHD After Dark. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. How does ADHD affect people's sex lives and relationships? And what can someone with ADHD do in order to cultivate happier and healthier relationships? Let's get to it. Hi, Ari. Thank you for speaking with me today. This is great. I'm very happy to be here. ADHD is something that I think most of us are familiar with. Uh, For example, most of us have probably read about this dramatic rise in rates of ADHD diagnoses in recent years, and many of us have probably read articles about how ADHD impacts people in school or in the workplace. However, something we rarely hear about is how ADHD impacts people's private lives, especially their sex lives and relationships. It's just not something that's really talked about that much, and there's not a whole lot of research on it either. And that's something that you wanted to change, right? You conducted this large study of ADHD and sex that formed the basis for your new book. So let's start there. Tell us a little bit about the study you conducted and and sort of why you did it in the first place. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, ADHD, obviously, we all know ADHD affects kids in school. We know potentially how it affects adults like in the workplace or in managing things like paying bills on time and getting to appointments on time. And all that stuff is certainly important. But you're absolutely right that what has been really neglected is its sort of ultimate impact, which is how people with ADHD see themselves and then how they relate to others, particularly in intimate relationships. And for most of us, you know, our relationships are, are one of the biggest things in our life. It's the one of the biggest drivers of life satisfaction and happiness. So increasingly over the last 20 years of specializing in ADHD, I've become interested in that, in the relationship part, and then even more specifically in the part that sexuality plays in well, relationships in general, but specifically in these kinds of relationships. And that, you know, sexuality in within a committed relationship is an important driver of overall relationship satisfaction. And I would even go so far as to say that keeping your sex life, you know, passionate and satisfying is a big driver of personal development, that it kind of makes you into a better person, as I say, that, you know, the work of the individual and the work of the couple together or the whatever together, um, you know, is a, is an important driver of that personal development as well. So, so what I wanted to do then was write a book for couples with one ADHD partner, looking at how ADHD impacts, not just their relationship, but also their sex life. And as is often the case in sexuality research, there wasn't any research. So I had to do it myself, which was fine because it was, it was an awesome, fun side project. Um, I put together a survey. I put it online. I had 72 questions, which is way too many questions, but I was very happy to read in your book that you had even more questions <laughs> than I did. So I'm not the worst out there. But, but what was super cool was the fact that I got over 3,000 people to fill it out. And actually, at this point, it's like 4,000. But I think what it speaks to is the fact that there's a real interest in this topic. And I think there's also a real hunger that there ain't nothing else out there. And people were very willing to spend 10 to 15 minutes on some online survey. 
Um, so it, you know, having 72 questions times like 3000 respondents gave me this enormous data set that provided all sorts of really interesting insights into what these relationships and sex lives are like. And more importantly, what do we do about it? How do we make, how do we make people's lives better? Right. It really sounds like a, a treasure trove of data and I'm glad you collected it because they're, they're, as you said, just isn't anything else out there. So let's talk a little bit about some of your findings. First, how does ADHD impact people's sex lives? Uh, does it have an effect, for example, on the way that people approach sex or experience sex? Is there a link to sexual dysfunction? What kind of things did you find? So the thing that, if we're talking specifically about sex lives, the thing that was most interesting to me and I didn't predict it, but I'm, but I'm not entirely surprised by it, is what I found was that folks with ADHD compared to their non-ADHD partners um, are generally more sexually eager. And by what I mean by that is in, within the survey, I had about a dozen questions that asked something to do with basically sexual eagerness. So things like, what is your desired sexual frequency? How often do you masturbate? How often do you look at porn? How kinky would you rate yourself? If your partner were interested in consensual non-monogamy, how interested would you be? You know, things of that sort. So I had 12 questions that I sort of put into this sexual eagerness cluster, as I called it. And the folks with ADHD, at least for one of the two, often for both genders, but sometimes just for one of the genders, came up, they self-rated higher on 10 out of 12 of those. And the non-ADHD partners, at best, they tied on the other two. Like they didn't rate higher on the other two. They just tied on the other two, which I think is incredibly interesting and is potentially a great strength in a relationship to have someone who has a strong sexual interest. It hopefully keeps that couple's sex life a bit more front and center, a bit less falling off the back kind of a thing. So they continue to get all the benefits of a great sex life together. But it can also be a double-edged sword the other way if it becomes yet another sort of thwarted desire, yet another place where the couple doesn't agree, um, yet another place where they can't quite get it to work out, or it becomes a casualty of other relationship struggles that cause their sex life to kind of fall by the wayside. Um, so I thought that that alone was incredibly interesting. I mean, there's lots of other interesting stuff, but like that heightened sexual eagerness, I think is really interesting. Right. And I guess that wasn't something I had really thought about before, but that um, sexual desire discrepancy piece could potentially be an issue here for some couples where you have a partner with ADHD whose interest in sex may remain higher than their partner's for the duration of their relationship. But we know that over time in relationships, um, most people's sexual interests tends to decline with their partner. So I could see that creating the basis for a desire discrepancy uh, in some of these couples where they're discrepant for, for ADHD. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it highlights whatever other discrepancies uh, whatever other drivers of a, of a discrepancy might exist, this has the potential to exacerbate it. Mm -hmm. But now what's interesting about it is, so this is now here we, we weave in the gender piece, which is that you know, if we're talking about heterosexual couples, so mixed, you know, gender couples, um, they're not equivalent. So if it's the man with ADHD 
versus if it's a woman with ADHD, it's different. And, you know, one of the things that I found was that if the woman has ADHD, they have sex 25% more often than when the man has ADHD. So in other words, they wind up having sex 73 times a year versus 59, which I think is, that's a difference you would feel. That's not just kind of statistically significant, but otherwise irrelevant. But I think, you know, 14 more times in a year, you'd probably feel that, you know, as in terms of how it contributes to your relationship happiness, or at least the satisfaction with your sex life. And I think that what happens is, is that the, when the woman has ADHD and the man doesn't, they are more sexually similar because of, again, that um, ADHD, sexual eagerness compared to there's a much greater difference in sexual interest when it's the man with ADHD and the woman without. So that, so those couples where the man has ADHD will struggle more in their sex life and also tend to struggle more in other ways in the relationship because of sort of, I think, different gender expectations, um, for each partner and how ADHD impacts the fulfillment of those expectations. That's really interesting. And now it's got me thinking about how ADHD might play out in couples with, with different sexual orientations. And if, for example, you had uh, two men who were together in a same-sex relationship and um, one or both of them had ADHD, would the implications be different compared to uh, a heterosexual relationship where just the male partner has ADHD? Do you have any insights there into how this might play out based on sexual orientation? Yeah. So, you know, in terms of the sexual eagerness, generally speaking, the men rated quite a bit higher than the women on most of the, on all the variables, except for the question have you ever engaged in consensual non-monogamy? So the women, particularly the ADHD women rated higher. I think it's that often women are more the gatekeeper of initiating that activity. Um, but so what it means then is if you have a same-sex couple, two guys, two women, whatever, um, there's potentially less on average, there's less of a difference between them in terms of their level of sexual interest. And, you know, like any of us, the more similar we are, the less we have to argue about, the less of a bridge we have to cross to understand our partner's perspective. So um, if you have two guys, one of whom has ADHD, there's going to be less of a difference than likely compared to if the guy has ADHD and then has a non-ADHD female partner. So on the sexuality front, they can perhaps be more similar and then perhaps be more compatible as a same-sex couple. But I think on the relationship side, on the, I don't know, just the managing the business of life side, so like somebody has to go to the grocery store, somebody has to load the dishwasher, um, all that just sort of mundane business of life, there's, you're still, I think, going to have a lot of the same struggles, even in same-sex couples, because, you know, the two people in the relationship still have to find a way to balance work and play, to balance workloads between the two partners and not have it become a situation where the non-ADHD partner, because they're just better at remembering to do things, better at persisting through boring tasks, winds up taking on more and more and more of the responsibilities, grows more and more resentful, grows more and more critical and naggy 
and then the partner with ADHD grows more and more avoidant or defensive. And like, that's, that's the sex killer right there. Um, so, you know, that's the dynamic that you, that all of us would like to avoid in our relationships. Right. So it sounds like based on what you described there, that there's a, a lot of potential for conflict outside of the bedroom when one partner has ADHD, uh, and in particular relating to that that time management piece. So th- did you find anything related to, say, overall relationship satisfaction for, for partners in these relationships? Yeah. And, and, and that's exactly it. I mean, it's all this sort of time management stuff. It's all the thing like, can I count on you is really kind of a lot of what it comes down to in that the non ADHD partners don't feel like they, this is like super broad brush strokes. Don't feel like they can count on their ADHD partners enough. And conversely, the ADHD partner feels like they can never please their other partner. Like it doesn't matter what I do. It's never enough. Mm -hmm. So, um, so it does impact their relationship satisfaction as well. And of course, as we know, there's usually about, I don't know, a two thirds overlap between relationship satisfaction and sexual satisfaction, which is really part of the sort of impetus for this survey and for the book was that as clinicians or as whatever, we're kind of neglecting this really important intervention tool. Like if we can help these couples do better by night, they will then perhaps do better by day. You know, so if you're looking forward to a great sexual encounter tonight, you're probably more likely to, as the ADHD partner, to step up and do the stuff you don't feel like doing. And as the non-ADHD partner to be nicer, let's say about giving the reminder, hey, um, can you load the dishwasher? Like that'd be really cool. And then after you hopefully have great sex tonight, you're probably friendlier tomorrow with each other. So it's that sort of positive benefit that spills forward, or alternatively, it's the angry, resentful dissatisfaction that also spills forward. So, you know, so I felt like we're missing half the equation here by neglecting these couples' sex lives. Right. And so it sounds like in what you're describing and in most of the data you collected, you were focused on couples in which one partner had ADHD and the other didn't. What happens in a case where both partners have ADHD? Do you have any data on that? So in the survey, I explicitly excluded couples with two ADHD partners. So I can't speak from the data, but what I can speak from is clinical experience of, you know, who walks through my office. And, you know, it's it's an interesting thing because on the one hand, there is much more empathy potentially between the two partners, because at least in this regard, they're a bit more similar. They can kind of understand each other. Um, unfortunately, it it's it's interesting. They still often wind up in something of the same dynamic where one of the partners becomes the higher functioning partner, the responsible one in quotes. And then the other partner becomes the sort of chaste one, you know, who is chased to, to step up more, to do more because like somebody's got to pay the bills and somebody's got to cook dinner, you know? So it just, it might be more of a struggle for that partner who also themselves has ADHD, but they sort of step up and do it. What can couples do to combat some of these challenges that ADHD poses for relationships and and happy and healthy sex lives. What right. kind of treatment advice and recommendations do you offer for better sex and relationships? 
So there is a lot to be said on this. And this, of course, this is this is the, the most important part of this whole thing is like, OK, well, what do we do about it? Uh, that's all interesting. What do we do about it to actually make my life better? So uh, the good the sort of bad news, good news about ADHD, the bad news is it's really at its worst before it gets diagnosed. And when it's thought to be something else, you're just lazy or it's just anxiety or you just need to try harder or if you loved me more or whatever. Um, so, you know, the, the title of the book, ADHD After Dark, like part of the reason behind the title, besides the obvious kind of like playful connotation of, you know, sexy things that happen at night is the idea that when you're in the dark about ADHD, it's much, much harder. And unfortunately, the majority of adults with ADHD are still undiagnosed and still untreated. Um, we're doing pretty good with the kids because schools know what to look for, but all their parents, most of them with ADHD have not been diagnosed. So first step is if you think there might be some ADHD in the mix, go find out, you know, get it diagnosed by a psychologist or psychiatrist who can figure out what is going on there. If you have family members with ADHD, genetically related family members, and there's a possibility that you have it or your spouse, definitely get that looked at because there's pretty good odds then that that might be the right diagnosis. But the good news about ADHD is that it really responds quite well to treatment. And that was something that I found in the survey is that, you know, most people found that treatment was helpful. Most effective treatment is medication. So stimulant medication that's been around for decades and decades works really quite well. And generally, the risks and side effects are pretty low. So it's kind of a winning formula as far if you put it all together. Um, so definitely medication, but also things like educating yourselves, plural, meaning both partners, about ADHD so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to figure it out the hard way. You know, find out what other smart people who came before you have figured out works well and, by the way, doesn't work well. Um, also, Things like lifestyle matters. So, you know, it's the old sleep, diet, exercise stuff. And let's throw mindfulness in because that's always good. Um, you know, like it's easy to say and having untreated ADHD is going to make it much, much harder to do, which makes a bad situation worse. But definitely I spend a lot of time kind of harassing my clients about getting enough sleep and eating well. And not that you need to be like training for an Ironman or anything, but just, you know, even partial progress is going to make a difference in your functioning and how you feel during the day. Um, and that generally the people who put in more effort tended, duh, tended to get more benefit out of the treatment. So, um, but even more importantly, and this was a thing that I did, unfortunately I figured this out. I went back into the data after the book was already like about to be published. So this isn't even in the book. But what I found was the couples who rated the people who rated their partner as putting in the most amount of effort on managing ADHD, whether it's their ADHD or their partner's ADHD, those people who felt their partner put in the most effort had 60 percent more sex than the folks who felt their partner put in the least effort. So 73 times a year versus 59. So, again, that is totally a difference you're going to feel. So. It's not just, are you putting in effort? Because everyone rates himself a little bit higher. But how do you feel your partner is putting in effort? And it's more generically, are they being a good partner? Are they taking it seriously? Are they doing what they can do to be good in the relationship and good in the sex life? And if you're putting in good effort in these other ways, it gets rewarded in the bedroom.
I want to go back to one thing you mentioned at the beginning of that, where you said that uh, ADHD is um, often untreated. And, and I, the implication from what you said seems to be that it's underdiagnosed in, in a mm-hmm. lot of adults. But I've also read a lot about how ADHD is overdiagnosed in children. So right. is it that we're overdiagnosing children, but underdiagnosing adults? Yeah, I think those are both true. That, you know, ADHD is, it's an easy diagnosis to jump to. Um, but not always accurately. Um, and yet at the same time, most adults, if you're, I don't know, more than 30 or 35, the odds of being diagnosed as a kid were really, really low. It just, I mean, it, it did exist as a diagnosis. It just wasn't used that much. So, so we have all these adults out there in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s who definitely have ADHD. I've had it their entire life. It's plain as day when you look back at their history and you know what you're looking for. And it was just not diagnosed. And, you know, it so there's this kind of, you know, part of the reason why we're seeing this increase in diagnosis is there's this sort of, quote, pent up demand you know, like there are all these folks with ADHD undiagnosed who are now being identified. So I don't think our rates of ADHD are going up mm-hmm. in terms of truly what's out in the population so much as that we're picking up more of what has always been there. Right. That That's so interesting. And I guess I, I think it probably also feeds into this perception that ADHD is something that affects people when they're younger. Like we, we just, we tend to associate it with childhood and yeah. adolescence because they're the ones who are being uh, diagnosed mo- most often. But uh, yeah, that's a, such an important point that we have all these adults who have been missed uh, as a result of that. Yeah. And, you know, it used to be that it was literally believed in the diagnostic manual that you grew out of ADHD. It was a disorder of childhood. And partly why that was is that those who are hyperactive and not everybody with ADHD is hyperactive, some of more the inattentive type, which is inaccurately called ADD, but it's technically ADHD inattentive. But, you know, hyperactive kids become much less hyperactive through adolescence and into early adulthood. So that part kind of fades away Mm -hmm. and they become perhaps someone who would hate a desk job, but they're not climbing the tree in the schoolyard at 30, you know? Um, But it's the inattentive symptoms. So the struggles with time management, with procrastination, organization, um, you know, things like that, that become much more problematic as an adult than they were as a kid. You're just not in a classroom setting anymore where perhaps it's a little bit easier to see. Right. Now, we're, we're running out of time, but there's a topic that I wanted to dive into for a little bit, and that's the intersection of ADHD and consensual non-monogamy, because mm-hmm. we, we touched on that a little bit earlier. And you mentioned how persons with ADHD expressed more interest in consensual non-monogamy. Uh, and it also seemed that they had a harder time maintaining monogamy in the sense that they reported having been more likely to have uh, committed infidelity. So right. this kind of made me wonder whether polyamory or other forms of consensual non-monogamy might be particularly well-suited uh, to persons with ADHD. But at the same time, going back to that double-edged sword comment you made, um, something like polyamory could be an issue for people who have time management issues, right? Because <laughs> when you have more relationships to manage, that's going to take more time. So yeah, I'm, I'm just curious, do, do you have any thoughts on that or any insights into how persons with ADHD might fare in uh, a consensually non-monogamous relationship? 
Right. So first of all, I love the fact you've kind of done a deep dive into this. That's <laughs> awesome. Um, so yeah, I think it, it's an interesting thing. And I think that you're absolutely right that on the one hand, you know, to effectively manage polyamorous relationships requires a lot of communication and coordination, which simplistically speaking, can be a challenge for folks with ADHD, that it's hard enough for them to keep one partner happy, like forget about keeping two or three. Um, and there is the risk of that sort of hyper-focus, which, you know, when you're a kid might be on Minecraft. Um, but, you know, there's also the risk of hyper-focusing on that new, awesomely interesting partner to the exclusion then of your, I don't know, I won't say boring old partner, but, you know, <laughs> very familiar partner. Um, you know, so like that work would require much more direct communication, much more assertiveness on the part of the existing partner to say, you know what, love the fact you're having a great time with that new person, but I'm kind of feeling neglected. So I'm not going to yell at you about it. I'm not going to be passive aggressive. I'm just going to speak my words and we need to make sure that you and I are spending time together as well. So, um, so it, it might be, and I'm completely making this up, I have zero data to back this up, but you know, it's possible in some ways that folks with ADHD might do better, and I'm thinking in particular guys with ADHD with much higher sex drives than their non-ADHD female partners, might do better in more of a kind of strictly sexual non-monogamy rather than an intimate romantic polyamorous arrangement that I think there's less complexity about it. Um, and it might then meet the high sex drive partner's needs in a way that the lower sex drive partner doesn't feel constantly hounded and you know pushed to have sex that they're just not really in the mood for. Um, but I think it's, you know, to do consensual non-monogamy well, you gotta be doing a lot of things really well in your relationship and these couples in particular really need to be doing a lot of things well to even consider doing it. But I do think it's a viable option for some. Right. And you've just laid out some really fascinating hypotheses. And as someone who, who studies consensual non-monogamy, now I'm really interested in taking this role of ADHD into account and in, in how these relationships work and function and, and how people navigate them. Um, I've previously done some work looking at how, say, people's personality traits, their attachment styles, and so forth are linked to satisfaction and success in consensual non-monogamous relationships, but not ADHD, at least not yet. So that's something I need to look yeah. That in the future. I think it's an interesting overlay on top of everything that you've already mentioned. You know, like I think it, it's an interesting thing in that, you know, like as you said, I mean, I found in the survey that folks with ADHD were more likely to have infidelities, both sort of physical, non emotional hookups, as well as emotional you know, more affair kind of arrangements. Um, and we all know how really devastating that can be. So, you know, the goal is to not have non-consensual non-monogamy and instead to either have really good consensual monogamy or to have really good consensual non-monogamy, but that it's all about the fact that whatever it is that it's consensual. Right. And that's very, very well put. So, um, if people want to learn more about your work and if they want to find more resources on ADHD and relationships, where can they go for that? 
So best place to find my material is on my adultadhdbook.com website, where I have a podcast and I have information about my books and and all of that. So um, that would be your best location about me. And I have links to, you know, other presentations I've done and things of that sort. Um, But otherwise, if you want to learn about ADHD in general, what I would recommend is the national ADHD organization called CHAD, so C-H-A-D-D dot org. And they have a ton of information about all sorts of stuff related to ADHD, not so much sexuality, but, um, but, you know, ADHD kids, adults, you know, relationships, work, school, et cetera, et cetera. So always a good resource. Well, thank you, Ari, for your time today and for this really, really fascinating discussion. Be sure to check out Dr. Tuckman's new book, ADHD After Dark, which is available now. Also, be sure to check out my latest book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. And be sure to follow my blog, Sex and Psychology, for updates on the latest and greatest sex research and information. Thanks for listening.